Hey everybody, welcome to episode three of the Better Dad podcast. Super stoked that you are listening and following along. I'm having fun doing it, so thanks for thanks for tuning in. My guest today is Dara Lovitz. She's an activist, author, presenter, speaker, teacher. She's also the mother of twin girls. She's published multiple books, but one of them is called Twin Sight, a guide to raising emotionally healthy twins. We got to have a conversation about her experience interviewing adult twins and experts about what it looks like to raise twins in an emotionally healthy way. And well, I'll let her tell you more about it. But here's my interview with Dara. Um, what what really fascinated me and kind of drew me in was just this idea of interviewing adult twins um, and interviewing their siblings even, you said, um, and, and experts. Because... I know, especially when, when I had young twins, like when, when our girls were first born, when they were one, two years old, if, when I would see a twin out in public, I would just like gravitate towards them and I would like go to them and be like, tell what do I do? How does this work? Like, tell me what, what to expect from twins or what should I do? What did your parents do wrong that I, I shouldn't repeat? Um, so I just, I love that approach. I would always like ask people that. So tell me more about like kind of what inspired that for you. Yeah, well... I did read a lot of books when I was pregnant with twins by experts. Um, The truth is a lot of those books were about the logistics of having twins, like how to fly on a plane if it's one of you and two of them and Mm. how many diapers you need and how do you um, breastfeed two kids at the same time. So it was kind of like that. It wasn't really about their emotional development. That became important to me, like learning how to raise an emotionally healthy twin, because when my kids were babies, and I'm sure you can relate, one of them will both cry at the same time and you have to choose which one you're going to go to for me out of my two daughters one of them had this like blood curdling scream and i always went to her first because i just wanted to shut her up first you know but then the other child was always second and um i was wondering how is that going to play out and then it it made me understand that these issues just them crying as babies it's going to grow there are going to be other issues that they're going to have at the same time and i'm going to have to choose one over the other And singleton babies don't have that experience. Singleton children don't have that experience until maybe they get a little older and there's another sibling involved. But for those formative developmental years as babies and infants, my kids are going to always have someone competing for the same resources. And I wanted to know how that affected them. As to why I chose to interview adult twins, um, I really felt like there are twin studies done all the time, right? But science is flawed. Sometimes a study will be done with a certain goal in mind. They want to seek a certain outcome and they find the outcome. You know, they find the data to support their desired outcome. I just, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to trust those experts versus the people who lived it themselves. I wanted to hear from adult twins, what they themselves, what, what, what worked for them, what didn't work, what they didn't like, um, things that their parents said, things that their teachers did, things that their friends said. I just wanted to hear all of the the information about growing up as a twin, how that affected them and who they are. And um, and themes emerged. Certain themes emerged from these interviews um, such that I was able to, you know, I had enough information to write a book. Um, and so I, I think I have nine chapters in here. Each is a theme that developed um, from talking to dozens and dozens of twins and their siblings, um, also their non-twin siblings. Right. How many, how many interviews did you do? I did more than 90 interviews. And um, you never know when to stop, but ultimately I stopped when things started to get really repetitive Mm. and I felt like I wasn't uncovering anything new. 
Um, and also I wanted to get the book out. I was very excited about what I was learning and I just felt like it was time. Um, with the interviews, I interviewed, sometimes I'll interview both twins, but never together. It's always one-on-one -on -one interviews. Hmm. And uh, I found people were very open when they didn't have their twin listening in, you know. Yeah. I kept the interviews confidential. So everything, all the names you see in the book were fabricated by me um, because I didn't want people to feel like they couldn't be open with me lest their twin read what they said, you know. So yeah. I really tried to disguise um, the identities of the people I interviewed. So sometimes I interviewed both twins. Sometimes one of the twins wasn't available. So I really just got one side of, um, of their twinship. And, um, and like I said, I interviewed siblings of twins as well, non-twin siblings of twins. So you said that, that nine themes really emerged that turned into the nine chapters. What let's, let's talk themes. What were some of the, the top themes that you saw coming out sure. of these interviews? Um, well, it was very important to encourage individuality. A lot of the twins told me, for instance, they hated being called the twins, you know, oh, the Miller twins are here. They just hated being grouped like that. Uh, one of them said to me, I am a person, not a phenomenon. You know, I am, I am myself just because I happen to be born on the same day as my sibling doesn't make me more interesting or more of a freak in that way. I want to be known and, and regarded as special for who I am. Um, so individuality was very important to the twins I interviewed. They didn't like the fact some of them, um, especially the identical twins, were dressed alike as their sibling, sometimes up into middle school. Yeah. And um, there was a lot of resentment about that, that they weren't given a chance to express themselves. Um, it's almost like if they were singletons, the parents probably would have bought their clothing for them well into elementary school. But at some point, the child could make decisions for herself. And it seems like with identical twins, the parents, certain parents just didn't let go. Like they, they constantly made them dress alike because it was this exciting thing to have twins look alike. Right. Um, I think the twins that I interviewed said it seemed like their parents were so excited to show off their twins um, because they thought it was so special. And of course it is so special, but sometimes kids just want to wear what they want to wear. And um, somebody said to me, she has pictures of her childhood with her twin sister. And she, because she's an identical twin, she cannot tell which one she is in the picture. And what's fascinating is while she said that to me, that it's upsetting to her, that she has no idea, is she the one in her mom's arms or is she the one in her dad's arms in that picture? Like she has no idea. And that was upsetting to her. Hmm. Her twin sister said to me, you know, what's so cool. We wore everything the same down to our hair bands, the color of our hair bands. And I look at these pictures and I don't even know which one's me. <laughs> she was like so excited about it, you know? Nice. Um, so it's interesting that the same exact situation could be interpreted differently depending on which twin it is, depending on who it is. Um, so I found that twins really wanted to be individuals and they wanted to be regarded as such for the most part by others. A lot of them did say it was cool being the only twins in the neighborhood. That was like a cool thing. Um, but ultimately they wished they were seen as individuals and respected as such. I mean, sometimes twins don't know if the friends they have are because they're friends with the twin or themselves you know they start to doubt their own ability to be a good friend because they're not really sure are they being liked because they are who they are or because they are a twin or yeah. part of the twinship uh so so one of those themes was encouraging individuality yeah i i know i i, I often i i've seen my girls like i've seen a friend come up to them and it's someone who maybe one of my girls is like, Oh, that's like my really good friend. And I see that friend come up and say, are you, and they're like, not sure. And I'm so just like, that is, they are. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I'm like that, that's painful to think to first to be like, Oh, this is my really good friend. And that really good friend is not quite sure who I am. 
<laughs> and I just, yeah, I think that's, that, I'll say that's, that's other, formative. Yeah, it, it's gotta be. Um, on the other end of that, I had friends in college who were identical twins and I didn't, I couldn't tell them apart. And I, I, whereas I usually use people's names in conversations because I think it's nice to hear your own name. Yeah. I never address them with their own name. And I had to wait until I got context clues from them as to which one I was talking to. And I, it made me feel terrible because I just, I felt like they knew, you know, you get really self-conscious and I felt like they knew that I didn't know which one they were. Um, so it, that's gotta be hard. That, yeah. That's gotta be hard to, to really not know if the person talking to you knows who you are. Yeah. Um, what is something from these interviews? What's the thing that, that surprised you the most? Cause I imagine that you went into these interviews, some of these things, maybe you were expecting, um, mm -hmm. and, and you, and, and you knew going into it, maybe some of the things you were going to hear, but maybe what was, what was the most surprising thing from these interviews? Uh, well, something I didn't expect to hear and something I didn't expect to conclude was that you should probably have separate, I hate saying this cause it's so hard to hear, but you should probably have separate birthday parties for your kids. Um, and that sucks. It sucks to say it because it's expensive to have these birthday parties, especially nowadays. But I mean, not pandemic days, but pre-pandemic days. Um, but in the interviews, notably, every single twin I interviewed had a shared birthday party. And most of them were not upset about it. Most of them were cool with it. But there was one interview that just became so formative for me. Um, and it was with someone who said she and her brother, her twin brother always had shared birthday parties. And I said, how was that? She's like, totally fine. It didn't bother me. And then she relayed a story later in life, how her brother's wife called her and invited her to her brother's surprise party. And she said, can you believe it? The nerve she's inviting me to my brother's surprise party. It's my birthday too. You know, she was very upset about it. And I said, oh, you just told me that birthdays weren't so important. What's going on there? And she said, oh, you know, now that I think about it, I never thought birthdays were special or important because I always had to share it with my brother. So yeah. then I felt like, oh, so all these twins who are saying they don't mind sharing their birthday party, that's all they know. They don't really know what it's like to feel like the birthday kid, you know, to feel special. And yeah. I'll tell you, up until that interview, I had always had a joint birthday party for my kids because why should life be hard? And, um, and I would do separate cakes. You know, I would give a chocolate cake to the one who liked chocolate and the vanilla cake to the, and I did different designs for the cake. So totally different cakes. We sang happy birthday twice um, to the individual kid. People for the most part gave two presents or like one big one for the kids to share. So like all in all, for all intents and purposes, that's awesome. And the kids had a great time. Um, but after interviewing that person and realizing that my kid's interpretation of a birthday is probably different than a singleton child, and maybe they don't feel special because they're sharing the day with someone else. I asked my kids individually outside of the others, um, you know, so the other couldn't hear. And I said, would you ever want a separate birthday party where, you know, instead of, because the way it worked is we would have a conversation. What do you guys want to do for your birthday this year? And then it would be a, it would be a negotiation. You know, they would have to collaborate and figure out which is the one place they're going to have their birthday. You know, what's yeah. the one thing they're going to do for their birthday. If it's at our house, what's the one, you know, activity. So they always had to collaborate on that. And so when I, when I opened it up to the possibility that they could choose the whole day themselves. You know, they could choose whom they're inviting, whom they're not inviting, and right. what the theme would be of their birthday party. Oh, of course. And we had separate birthday parties ever since. And I'll tell you, it's really, it's not that much more expensive because now that we're doing separate parties, I'm not offering 
the expensive places, you know, I'm right. giving them different options. We're, we're usually having stuff at the house with like a smaller group of kids and it, it's right. totally affordable. If you make it affordable, I make the cakes from scratch. Like I, you know, I can keep it inexpensive because it's more important to me and it's more important to my kids. Like they'd much rather have their own birthday party than have it at one of these amazing splash parks or whatever, a joint one, you know, they'd yeah. rather have an individual party. That's less, less bells and whistles, fewer bells and whistles than a shared party at a, you know, at an amazing place. Cause they really do want to feel special for one day. They want all the attention. And, um, and so that was surprising to me. And it was also like, I didn't want to learn that, but, but yeah. once I, did, I, I, you know, I can't go back now that we've done that and we've seen that it really does make a child feel special. Yeah. I love that. Cause I feel like, I feel like they wouldn't even look back on those birthdays and it wouldn't matter to them even what, what you did or where you went, they would, but they would definitely remember like, oh yeah, I, I got this like special day. My, my mom, you know, went way out of her way to like give me my own thing, which was not normal at our house. Cause I always had to share everything with my sister and, okay. um, they'll really remember the, the fact that it was made special just for them. Um, yeah. What do they say? That, they say you remember how people make you feel, you know, yeah. they're really, they're not going to remember the gifts or the the clown or whatever they did with the birthday party. They're going to remember how they felt. And for one day a year, they should be able to feel like the only kid in the world that matters. Yeah, that's right. You know, our girls are turning 10 in April. We might, we might have to, uh, we might have to try that. So <laughs> I have advice. Let me know what you're <laughs> Okay, <from> good. Because <laughs> we've done science parties at the house. Like we've done a lot of cool stuff at the house. You can do it real you know, yeah. budget friendly and super fun for the kids. Yeah. Nice. What, um, so, so individuating, I know is a big thing. Was there any other theme that you really want to, that, that stood out to you that, that, that you can tell us about? I mean, I have a whole chapter on school separation, which I know can be, um, a little controversial. Yeah. I think the controversy is that a parent shouldn't be told, shouldn't, shouldn't have their twins forced apart or forced together. It should be up to the parent to make the decision. I hope that most parents make the decision to separate their kids. From my interviews, it seemed obvious that the kids who were separated from each other as early as possible were able to develop, well, also individuality, but to develop their own friends, to develop their own social skills. A lot of times what happens in twins is they become socially dependent on one another. Um, in early twins, in preschool, one twin might be, you know, they say the dominant twin. I hate saying that, but one twin will be the one, the talker, while the other twin allows her her sister to talk for her, sure. um, not developing her own verbal, uh, her own vocabulary, because she's always relying on her sister to speak for her. So I found it even with my own kids when they were young, as soon as I could, um, as soon as the preschool had enough classrooms, we separated them. And the one who wasn't talking and who wasn't walking all of a sudden was meeting all these milestones quickly, mm -hmm. because she didn't have her sister there, either to be in her sister's shadow or to have her sister just do everything and she could watch. Um, so I think socially, academically, it's very important to separate your twins, um, especially if they're identical. We've had, I've had twin interviewees complain to me that they've gotten the wrong grade because they were in the same exact, it was a Spanish class, but they were in the same Spanish class and one did an amazing oral presentation and one did a horrible oral presentation and the grades were reversed. Um, and they both knew that they got the wrong grade, you yeah. know, they the teacher messed up. And um, <laughs> so that, that can happen. Imagine the teacher in a classroom having to decide which is which, and you tell one to sit in that corner and that corner, but ultimately mistakes are going to happen. So socially, academically, um, personality, individuality, independence, all of that is important to develop as an individual in your own classroom. So 
I very much encourage school separation. I don't think rules should be imposed, but I do believe parents should really look at that and consider that. I haven't spoken to one twin who was separated from her sibling or his sibling um, in school and regretted it. Yeah. Thought that it was a bad call. That's good to hear. Um, I, I also, I'm wondering, and this is kind of, kind of a two-parter question. So, so first part is what, how, how do you define emotional health? Like what, what does emotional health even mean? What does that look like? And then I'm also curious in these interviews you did, was there, was there a twin group, uh, I don't even know what to call it, a twin, a set of twins. <laughs> um, I know you said separate, you talked to them separately, but was there a set of twins that you were just like, oh, they are emotionally healthy twins. They are adult twins who are, are just like killing it. They, they have grown, they're emotionally healthy. They are my prime example <laughs> of what every twin should strive for. Yes. Um, well, I, I want to say at first, I'm not an expert on emotional health. Um, sure. I wrote a book on emotionally healthy twins, but I'm sure someone could define emotional health in a much more eloquent way. What it meant to me was somebody who was very self-aware, understood her own feelings, was very mindful, um, and was able to have compassion for oneself and compassion for others. Um, and it's really about the emotional quotient. How emotionally intelligent are people, um, are the people I'm interviewing? And how, like, um, how is their ego? How is their sense of self? How is their sense of, how is their self-esteem? So it was really about that. Um, and I did interview a set of twins, um, boy, male twins, and they when they were talking, I mean, a lot of the interview was just reflecting back on moments in childhood that had an impact on them. And they, you know, their one example was their mother would take one of them to visit her sister in Florida for like a weekend. And then the next year would take the other kid. And so the mother would alternate who she would take. So there was a lot of one-on-one time with the parent and these twin interviewees were so thankful and grateful. And they said, we, you know, our parents did a great job. They let us have time apart. And they gave us a lot of one-on-one time. Um, like the dad, after dinner every night, the dad would take one of the boys around the block for a walk and then alternate which one he took. So there was a lot of one-on-one parent-to-child alone time um, that they that the twins really needed. Now, so they, they, they had very healthy senses of self. Um, they seemed very emotionally mature and developed. And they were very close with each other. So they had a connection. You know, I talk a lot about individuality and separating your kids and giving them separate play dates and all of that is important. But you also want kids who love each other and you want them to be best friends. You know, you don't want to impose any kind of pressure, but who doesn't want, you know, your kids to be best friends with each other. Yeah. So for these particular interviewees, they were each other's best friend. They were so supportive of one another. Um, and it's not to say the relationship wasn't without challenges. For instance, you know, academically, they were both competitive with one another and one applied to governor's school and got in and the other applied and didn't get in. And so the one who got in said, you know, I felt so bad because my brother didn't get in. I wanted him to get in. And it was so awkward because I got in and I wanted to feel happy for myself, but I didn't want to gloat in front of him and make him feel bad. And so when I interviewed him, he said, it was so awkward. Everybody, like nobody talked about it around me. Like, of course he's going to governor's school. He's going away to this like amazing academic opportunity. And like, it's like, it didn't exist when I was in the room, everybody got quiet and I felt so bad mm-hmm. about that. They, so they both felt bad because everybody was trying to protect one another's feelings. Um, but it just shows that they're like, they're conscious of the other's feelings. They're so close to each other. And the parents are so conscious of how each child is feeling at any given moment 
that that you know you can overcorrect, and I think that was in a moment of overcorrecting. But um, but they had this really wonderful close relationship where they were very concerned about the other's well-being, um, while also having a sense of self and individuality and own self-importance. So it, I really admired them, and it's funny because I I at some point later met their parents, and it made sense. Yeah. <laughs> parents were super cool and yeah. just really um, just very very intelligent. That's awesome. Intelligent. And so that's, you feel like that's sort of a, um, a family that you are, are trying to emulate. I definitely, after I talked to them and they told me things that their parents did that they thought was really good. Um, I made mental notes like, Oh yeah. When the weather's nice after dinner, I could take one kid, <laughs> you know? Um, and I do, I think one-on-one -on -one time is super important. I just, we don't, in my family, we don't make it a regular thing. It's like if, if the stars are aligned and, we're both home and we both can take one kid one place another kid and there's no pandemic so right. you know we we just never made it a regular thing but in that family they did and i think that's something to strive for and maybe you know hopefully when my kids are older we will make a regular occurrence of just it's built in to the week yeah. one time built in yeah and I, and I love that because this isn't rocket science this is not this is not earth-shattering information right I, I mean as far as like Give your kids special time. Give them one-on-one -on -one time. But, but still, buy the book. Buy the book. Yes, buy the book. No, matter your world. But go on. <laughs> That's not what I meant. I you, like. I mean, just the 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 basics of it, the fundamentals. Yes. What it what it is 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 it, it takes. Um, I guess intentionality is what I mean. Like the the idea is, um, you have to be intentional, um, instead of just like thinking, oh well, in the course of what we're doing. You know, I'll, I'll be present, I'll be available to them, but you have to be intentional about, okay, after dinner, I'm going to take one kid on a walk. And that means I've got to block out time tomorrow night to take the other kid on a walk tomorrow night. Um, and yeah, just being, just being intentional about um, being available and even being present with your kids, right. mm -hmm. um, especially when you have twins, because you got to do it. You got to double up. <laughs> and that's what I mean by you have to be intentional because you have to, you have to give it a second round. Um, yeah. And it takes planning. And sometimes there are single parent households where one-on-one -on -one time is not a possibility yeah. uh, for, for a regular thing. However, you can employ friends or family members to sort of pinch hit with you and take one kid while you take the other kid. So you can make it work, but it takes more planning. Yeah. And, um, it's like you said, intentionality is, is the name of the game. Yeah. You know, something I did um, a couple of years ago that my kids still just always talk about that I, I should do again is long story short, I was trying to get companion pass on Southwest. So I was trying to get like a bunch of like Southwest points. And um, <laughs> so I took them each on a little trip, just like a little weekend trip to set to like a different town. It's like somewhere special. I found, I based it on what was cheapest <laughs> and sure. like, and, and what was a place where maybe we could stay for a friend with, for free and took each kid on like a little trip. And like, they still like years later, they talk about it all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I should do that again. Um, Take, give them that their is, own special weekend. Um, it's yeah, huge. That, that is huge. That is formative. And if someone ever interviews them 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, they're going to mention that. You you created a very important memory that is, um, it's indelible. They are going to hold on to that. And the feelings, the, the bonds that you created with them, it's irreplaceable. So that I would say, I mean, that's amazing. And they'll always think fondly of it. If you could do it again, great. If you could do a smaller version of it, great. But yeah, that um, it may not have seemed it at the time, 
but that is huge. I'd love to hear more um, just practical ways that you've heard people or that you've seen in your own life to help twins individuate. Sure. Um, something that we don't often think about is pictures. Um, twins have mentioned to me that they'll go to the grandparents' house and they see a picture of them with their twin sibling, but then all their cousins have their own individual photos on the fridge. Hmm. So they noted that to me, like, why do I have to, I'm always in the, fr and of course, like if you're self-conscious about the way you look in pictures, well, you know, you have half a chance of not looking good in that picture because your twin does. So, so it's probably not your first pick for what photo would go on the fridge. But twins notice when they are grouped together in one photo frame hmm. and everybody else gets his own photo frame. So that's something they pick up on. Um, and I notice in my uh, when my kids were in preschool, I always had, you know, how, like parents have homework, like they send the parents all this whole list of things you have to do. Yes, I'm and, very familiar know. with the long list of things, <laughs> especially now. It's the worst. It's, it I have white cleaners colored yellow and <laughs> by tomorrow. Um, so every year before preschool, they would ask for a picture of your kid, you know, like a, a, a recent picture of your kid. And then what they'll do is they'll blow it up or the kids will draw themselves or whatever. So. I would go into my phone, which is where I store photos these days, and it would be hard for me to find a recent photo of just one of them. Because I, you know, when my kids were that age, they were so cute together. And I just had all these pictures of them together. And sometimes I would have to, you know, take a last minute picture of my kids. Um, and, you know, probably they're not wearing something great or they have like a blemish on their face, but I, I was just unprepared. Um, and I, I took note of that. I took a mental note that I need more pictures of them separate. You know, every year I should have at least a couple of great photos of them as alone without their sibling in the picture, in the frame. Um, so I think that's something that twin parents tend to, you know, they're going to mostly post photos on Facebook or in social media of their kids together because, again, super cute. Um, but it the is. kids, the twins will notice that. You are telling the world, look at this group. Look at this unit of kids I have. Um, so you are also, you're communicating to the world how you think the world should treat them. And of course, you don't want the world to treat them as a set. You want the world to treat them as individuals, except what you're putting out to the world is, look at this awesome set I have. Look at this pair of kids I have. So um, I think as parents, we have to be very mindful of that to make sure that what we're putting out to the world is, these are my individual children. When people would say to me, um, oh, did the twins like this movie? I would answer, with my kids' names, individual names. I never say the word twins hmm. referring to my kids. Sometimes I call them girls, like if I'm referring to the family as a unit, like me and right. the girls, but, um, and especially not in front of them, I would never call them the twins, but I make sure that the world knows, I think of them as individuals and you should too. You know, they're two totally different, my kids don't even look alike, um, and they're totally different personalities, obviously. Hmm. And I want the world to know they're, they're not a set. Um, and again, I made that conscious decision after talking to these adult twins who did not like being grouped together. Um, they really wanted to feel like individuals. So that's a long way to say pictures. Look at your pictures, look at your phone, look at what you're putting out in social media. Think about the words you're using to describe your kids. Um, all of that is messaging. And that messaging, it's your kids hear it subconsciously, consciously, they hear what you're saying and the world hears it. Do your, uh, do your girls share a room? They do. Yeah. Um, this is a problem. I'll just tell you my, um, I'm not going to pay you for this, but I'm going to vent a little and Let's uh, hear it. don't charge me. Okay. But, so my kids are eight and a half and um, they share a room and one of them so badly wants her own room. She cannot stand. She's very clean and neat and organized and she's sharing a room with 
for all intents and purposes, like the biggest slob you've ever met. Um, <laughs> and she just wants to be in her own room. However, the slob, notice I'm not using anyone's names here. Um, the slob is kind of like, um, she gets spooked easily. She has a very active imagination and she gets so scared. So she doesn't want to sleep alone in a room. Yeah. So one kid who wants her own room and the other kid who is scared and she'll be up all night and we'll have to like, you know, deal with that. It would be <laughs> problematic for us as parents and make my life less convenient. Um, but we have to deal with that issue because really what we're doing is we're holding back the kid who wants to be individual. We have the room, we have the space, we could change my office. Like we could definitely accommodate this request. Yeah. Um, and we're holding back the one who wants to be on her own and have her own space. I mean, space is so important, right? When you were a kid, did you decorate your room with posters and like, you? Oh yeah. I don't want to, I'm going to age myself, but I had a whole selection of cassette tapes. Like <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. that was a big part of my room. And then posters <laughs> of like Michael Jackson and some other, again, yeah. I'm dating myself. <laughs> That's great. My room was like my, um, that was my space to express myself. Yeah. My kids have a joint space. So, um, and I was a messy kid, so we know where the slob gets her <laughs> from, <laughs> nice. but, um, but so I had a mess of a room growing up, but it was my mess and I knew where everything was. And so we have this child who's clean and neat and wants an organized space. She wants to put her own artwork up on the walls and we're preventing her from doing that because the other one's kind of emotionally dependent on her. Um, yeah. so that's not cool. And we have to, this is a problem that we have to work around, you know, we have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we're in the exact same boat. The girls are nine and a half and we're trying to figure out, we also have the space, but we're trying to figure out how to navigate that because it would be huge for them to have their own room. And like, it's such a like first world problem, right? Like there's yes. people, I mean, there's families, we have a family of five. There's some people with families of five that have one bedroom and I, I'm aware of that and that it's a it's a privilege to be able to have this problem. Um, but it would just, it would be huge. It'd be huge for the girls to be able to have their own space. And we're trying to navigate that right now too. try to do figure out how to make that it? work. They do. do they yeah, they do. Both. They definitely do. <laughs> and then our, and then our son, he's the one who, he's the only person in the family who has his own room. And he, he's like always wanting to sleep with somebody else. <laughs> so we're trying to, yeah, it's just kind of an ongoing, ongoing thing. But that idea of individuating and giving them something that's their own, um, would be really huge right now and would make them feel special. And, and I think the room is a, would be a, would pl really play into that right now. So yeah, I was curious to hear. I'm glad yeah. we're not the only ones trying to, trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's good is everybody's on the same page in your household. So that's yeah. great. I mean, you can, that'll be easy, right? It's now it's just logistics. Now you're dealing with paint colors and moving a bed and furniture. I mean, yeah. And losing an office. That's actually the, that's actually the thing. But uh, yeah, especially yeah. now, especially right now when we actually need a home office. But anyways, so that can be something to look forward to when the pandemic's over and we're back to normal. That can be the first thing that they can celebrate is having their own space. Everyone gets a room. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Um, uh, you know, one other and this is a bit of a divergence, but I'm just and we don't have to dive too deep into this. But um, how does your how does your activism play into play to being your parenting? Um. I'm trying to raise little activists um, it's important to me. I grew up, um, I'm, I'm Jewish and there's a concept in Judaism called tikkun olam, repair the world. It's like mm. every individual's responsibility to repair the world and to help others. So I was raised with this. My parents are very community service oriented. Um, it's just sort of part of the way I see the world. And so I'm trying to raise them. I want them to see it themselves eventually. Like I want it to become second nature to them. Like it became with me. Now they're at an age where I have to 
impose that on them a little bit. So we do a lot of community service activities. Um, when they were younger, that was as simple as doing a card um, for someone in a senior citizen facility, you know, just a random Valentine's Day card or something, because all they could do was art at that age. Now we're doing more crafty things. We just made dog toys for a, for a dog shelter. Um, and we are, they're not at the age where they can go into these shelters where we do meals for the hungry programs, but, um, but they're getting to a point where they can package up boxes, care, care bags for people who need it. Um, we do a lot of collections, their birthday parties every year. We don't have, um, their first year we allowed people to give gifts. That was very important to my parents and my uh, in-laws. Yeah. But after that, we said, instead of gifts, because PS, I hate stuff in my house. I don't <laughs> I want all this stuff. It's too yes. much stuff. I can't handle yes. it, yes. especially with twins. It's like double the stuff. So um, we tell people in lieu of gifts, bring a book that will donate to the, you know, to the local schools around here or bring, um, there's an organization called Cradles to Crayons and they collect everything, diapers and wipes and everything. We did one year a collection for a women's shelter. Um, so instead of gifts, we asked the guests to bring an item. Um, and it's a, my kids, like my husband was concerned, are they going to feel sad that they're not getting gifts on their birthday? But the truth is they are spoiled with gifts from their cousins and from family members. They get plenty of gifts. And um, as we saw from the first birthday party, when people brought gifts, they're not going to enjoy most of the stuff that they're given. Um, so they've learned to accept that they're going to get some really special gifts from family members and they're going to get no crap. I call it crap. And they know, you know totally. what I mean by that. And instead we collect, uh, we do collections for other people. So I'm trying to show them, I'm, I'm just trying to make it part of our regular life that this is just what we do. When we're in the city, we always bring snack bars that we can just give to people who are hungry on the streets. Um, I want them to see the world the way I see it. So that is the way that I'm sort of imposing it on them. And again, I'm hopeful that when they're older, it just becomes second nature to them. And they just, they'll always have a snack bar in their bag for that reason. Nice. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Tell me that phrase again in, in Judy, heal the world. Oh, uh, what is the phrase? Tikkun olam. Yeah. Repair the world. Re repair the world. I'm sorry. Say the phrase one more time. Tikkun olam. Tikkun olam. Repair yeah. the world. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so uh, the, the, the final question I always ask people um, is if you have, what's your top advice for someone out there who just wants to be a better dad? Um, and, and I know that we're specifically, we're talking about twins and not everybody. Some people are going to be like, I don't even know. But this is great advice for siblings. Um, even yeah. if you have siblings that are close in age, this is this is great advice. This is great information. Um, but what, what would be your top advice out there for someone who's just like, I don't even know. I just want to be a better dad. What do I do? Um, okay. Three things. First, yeah. listen to your podcast. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I'll send you my Venmo. <laughs> thank um, you, thank you. But but seriously, look for information. You know, this is a great podcast. You have I listened to your episodes. You have some really great information. So um, listen to people like you. So seek out the information. Um, number two would be try to be mindful. Um, be mindful of your like check in with yourself. How are you feeling? Understand your triggers. What makes you react the way you do? Which reactions would you like to improve upon? Um, think every night, reflect on your day. Like what were your best moments and your worst moments parenting wise? Um, I mean, you can reflect on other things, but as far as parenting is concerned, think about your parenting moments. How did you do that day? What could you do differently? And I think when people become more mindful of themselves, more self-aware, they then can understand other people as well. So then they'll start to understand their kids' reactions to, to certain triggers. 
Um, what's triggering your kids more? What's, uh, what do they like? What don't they like? How are they dealing with their feelings? So be mindful of yourself, be mindful of your kids, check in with them, see how they're feeling. Talking about feelings should be kind of a regular thing. Of course, you wanna hear about their day. You wanna hear how the soccer game went. You wanna hear what the teacher said. You wanna talk about uh, important administrative stuff in the house. Don't leave your shoes there. You know, there's important things. Also, it's important to check in. How did you feel when, when she said that? How, how are you feeling when the teacher took your test and you weren't finished? You know, having talking about feelings regularly helps you become more mindful and I think helps check in with your kids and helps your kids understand it's important to check in with themselves as well. Um, so mindfulness. And then the third thing I would say, um, and I start to get a little passionate, so I have to, I'm going to keep the curse words out. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. There's... <laughs> right. um, it would be be present. And put, put the phone down. Put the goddamn phone down. Yeah. I see kids at the playground. It's just one kid, one parent, and the parent's on the phone. And the kid's trying to play with them or have a conversation. And the parent's, you know, head down in the phone. It drives me nuts. Um, and I just, you know, and it happens in the house. I, I see it everywhere. I see parents on their phone all the time. I'm on my phone too. I have yeah. to send emails. I sometimes have to put out fires at work. And I have to be on my email. But I explain it to my children. Um, and I say, I need to take a break. I'm going to walk to another room. I'm going to finish this email and then I'm going to put it down and then we're going to play that goddamn game again. You know, it's, yeah. so we, um, you know, I try to be more conscious of it because when I, when I observe other parents ignoring their kids, I see the kids faces Yeah, they can tell they're being ignored, you know, and what's the messaging that they receive. The messaging is whatever my parents doing on that smartphone is more important than I am. And kids know that sometimes it's social media. You know, kids know that sometimes they'd rather tell the world about what an awesome parent they are than actually be present with their kid in the moment. Yeah. Um, so my advice is to be present, put the goddamn phone down, sit with your child. And when your child's talking to you, make eye contact with him, see his eyes, let him know that you're paying attention to what he's saying. Um, sometimes your kid is not going to say the most interesting things. Don't care. Listen yeah. to your kid and pay attention. If the kid wants to play a game, play a game. Of course, sometimes you have to work. Sometimes life takes over. Your mother calls. You have to take the call. That happens, of course. But try to make a conscious effort to be present with your kid. Um, and I think that would make you a better dad. And I think it would go a long way. I think your kid would also feel that you're a better dad. I mean, my kids at age eight are very observant about phone use. And they'll they'll call us out on it. Oh, yeah. You know? is, that, is that email more important than my needs right now? <laughs> They're very verbal about about their observations about phones and i appreciate that because it does sort of help you um you know it's it's a check yeah. it's a check on you so um, i would just urge parents especially if the younger kids who can't make that observation verbally be present with your kid because children are getting the messaging they get that that message that you don't mean to send which is whatever i'm doing on my phone is more important than you yeah that sucks yeah so be present well, thank you. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And also thank you for, for taking the time and the energy and the effort to, to do these interviews and the research, um, to put into your book. I, I, I just think that that's invaluable. And I love that you, you know, you, you learn from the actual people, um, and, and found people that, that we can emulate and found people, um, that we can learn from who have kind of walked the road before us, um, especially from the, not, and not just, not the parents of twins, but the actual twins themselves, the people who 
we're trying to actually develop and grow into emotionally healthy adults. So um, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, and speaking of um, your book and your writing, where can we find you? Um, tell us, last question, where where do we find you online? Where can we find your work? Sure. Um, I, I have an inactive, um, no, not inactive. I'm on Twitter, but people don't seem to care what I have to say. <laughs> but I'm on Twitter at Dara Lovitz. I'm on Instagram. And um, I have a website, daralovitz.com. That's my name, D-A-R-A-L-O-V-I-T-Z.com. And my books are listed there. I have another book that might be interesting for your um, listeners. I won't mention all of them, but there's one called Catching Falling Cradles, A Gentle Approach to Classic Rhymes. And it's for your listeners who have maybe younger kids, um, because I rewrote the creepy nursery rhymes that you and I grew up with. I'm making yeah. an assumption about your upbringing. Yeah. Um, when I was growing up, I learned all these like cre- like the grim fairy tales and the nursery rhymes where the three blind mice get their tails chopped up by the farmer's wife and Humpty Dumpty falls to his death. And so I rewrote the classic nursery rhymes to make them more like like less um, awful and less creepy and less gory and to make them gentle for a you know a three year old's mind to process. So that's called catching falling cradles: a gentle approach to classic rhymes. That might be uh, useful for everybody. But you can find me at daralovitz.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I uh, love chatting with you and um, look forward to uh, seeing, seeing what else you put out there. Thank you. And thank you for doing this podcast. I think it's going to reach a lot of people and help a lot of people. And you're going to make a whole lot of a whole generation of new dads be better. So, thank that's, you. so thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that.